In a recent survey of 1,000 brand marketers in the United States, 72% said they are likely to change their primary media metric in the next 12 to 24 months. Are you ready for the change that's coming? Download Measuring Success, a new research report from Zaxxis, to learn how marketers are taking control of their metrics by tying media to real business outcomes. Visit Zaxxis at X A. XIS.com now and download the report. In a year of fire sales, Quartz stands out. The six-year-old global business publication was bought by Japanese tech company Usabase in a deal valued between $75 million and $110 million. Now, Quartz, like many publishers, is focused on building out its paid content business. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jay Loff, the co-CEO of Quartz. Jay and I talk about why it made sense for Quartz to go to Usabase, how Quartz will differentiate its subscription program, and much more. Hope you enjoy it. Jay, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So a lot has changed since the last time you were there. Um, most notably, Quartz has a new parent, Usabase. Yes, Usabase. So when this happened in August, um, a lot of people, at least in in the U.S. market, said Usabase. Yeah. So explain Usabase. Yeah, Usabase is a publicly listed company in Japan. It's been around for ten years. Um, wildly successful company that started out as an information services company with a product called Speeda, which is S P E E D A, and it's a competitor in Japan to um, uh, other information services companies like uh, Factiva and, and the like here. Uh, they had a really successful five-year run um, with that product and continue to have a successful run. And about five years in, launched a product called NewsPix, which is uh, a high-end news app for business professionals that um, is a second division of that company. Uh, and so they took the company public. They have a close to $800 uh, million valuation um, uh, on the Japanese market. And so they uh, they came, found us. We were not looking to do a transaction. And uh, over the course of a number of conversations with one of their uh, founders, Yusuke Omida, um, it became clear to us that it was a it would be a really good move for Quartz. So this was about six years in, right? For us. Yeah. Yes, right. Exactly. Okay. Not like the obvious uh, partner, I would think, right? I mean, were you surprised that they ended up? I mean, you know, I'm sure you had plenty of other talks um, with other probably more likely partners. What what did you find interesting about this particular opportunity? I mean, a lot of things have to line up on the money side and whatnot. But what was most interesting about Usabase as opposed to perhaps a more likely uh, home? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, first of all, Quartz obviously has an itch to always do something different and counterintuitive sure. from the beginning, you know, launching without a homepage. So why would we <laughs> sell the company to uh, to one of the, the, the most uh, sort of the known offenders? I think there are really two main things that, that uh, led us to, to both get excited about and then, you know, finalize the transaction. Um, the first thing we started to suss out was strategy. So we had a shared strategy of trying to serve global business professionals and really, in essence, a new generation of global business professionals. One of the phrases that rolls off our, rolls off our tongue almost as a tagline for Quartz is we're trying to reach people who are excited by change. 
So, you know, people who are driving change uh, inside their companies or in the marketplace, Userbase started with that same principle. They felt like a lot of the the traditional tools and uh, and media properties in Japan uh, Japan were also sort of designed to reach an old guard and not necessarily speaking to the new gu- new guard in terms of tone, um, user experience, the kinds of information that they needed. So. That was a sort of a shared strategy and sensibility that the two brands had. The second thing that we then began to really vet carefully was culture. Um, from the beginning, uh, both the Atlantic Media Company and then Kevin Delaney, my co-CEO, and I um, have been very deliberate about um, the kind of culture that we're trying to develop um, as a as a corporation and as a as a uh, as a uh, an entity. And when you go to the Userbase website and look at their cultural values, which they prominently display. They uncannily match up to um, to Quartz's. So it's things like uh, putting users first. It's things like doing things with speed. It is um, having a global uh, a global view. Um, things like that that really matched up. Um, so as you say, outside of the you know the the you know when you start doing your financial due diligence and other things, sort of that cultural sensibility with a shared sense of mission really made us sit up and take notice in the early parts of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think when we're looking back this year, this is probably one of the the good stories when it comes to M&A and digital media. Yeah. Because there have been, you know, we're recording this in early December and uh, we're just coming off uh, one of the most recent fire sales with Bustle buying Mike. So what do you think in looking back, what what made Quartz work? Yeah, it's it's it really it's it's a good and interesting question because we we have asked ourselves that in in light of everything that's going on. And I think um, a few things um, that will maybe sound uh, trite and obvious, but I think they're true. One is, um, I think, a dogged pursuit of an adherence to quality in everything that we do. Um, so we were never trying to be uh, to just sort of cash in on a trend of the moment from the beginning. Um, our mission and supposition was that you needed to do, particularly to reach the kind of audience we're trying to reach, really high quality, intellectually rigorous journalism as a starting point. Uh, and I think we've delivered on that. I think we've delivered journalism that is um, both quality and distinctive. Um, the user experience, I mean, you guys say this in your own quarterly um, print magazine, uh, you know, it's easy to roll your eyes over, uh, over you know, an adherence to a user-first uh, uh, philosophy. Um, but we've been really dogged about that in our product development, in the development of our advertising um, uh, our advertising proposition. And I think what that has done is two things. One is it has attracted um, a loyal and distinctive fan base of which, frankly, the uh, the founders and owners of Usabase are, are they're a part of that uh, that fan base. That's what that's how they found us initially. Uh, and I think what that's done is actually created something that has a, a meaning found, meaningful foundation on which you can can build. Again, I think it's not a brand uh, or a proposition that's tried to simply cash in on the latest trends and crazes, but actually trying to build something for mm-hmm. the long haul. So not trying to be everything to everyone. Cause I think yeah, a, that's, that's a great way to put it. Exactly. A lot of people this year, um, I'm just finished wrapping up um, a column for the magazine and, and looking back over how many of the bad stories are about people who got stuck in the middle? Yeah, com- th- that's completely right. I mean, I think 
again, so that, you know, maybe another way to say it is exactly that, you know, the strategy, not only was it an adherence to quality and user experience, but trying to serve a very specific audience. Again, global business professionals from the beginning was what we set our sights on. So that, what does that do? That, you know, gives you guardrails on the kind of content that you um, are going to produce. It gives you guardrails on the kinds of user experiences you might develop. It gives you guardrails on the kind of advertising that you'll, you'll pursue. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that focus um, is is critical. Um, it also has helped us avoid, you know, the pivots, um, which, you know, are easy to, um, in hindsight, I think, make fun of. But I think, you know, a lot of companies have tried to, to pivot to what seemed like a more sustainable opportunity or model. We haven't had to do that. Um, we've certainly experimented in a lot of these same arena video and other places that, that others have. But we've never had to make a full pivot from the original proposition. Mm-hmm. And I think that the strength of that shows through. I want to take a quick break here. of U.S. marketers plan to increase their investment in outcome-driven media in the next 12 to 24 months. Do you know what outcome-driven media truly means and how you can harness it to your advantage? Learn more about the value of outcome-driven media in Zaxxis's Outcome Media Research Report. Visit Zaxxis.com now. That's X-A-X-I-S dot com. And you can download this report. Now back to my conversation with Jay. So the original proposition, though, was very ad-driven. Yes. Right. Yep. I mean, so 2012, you started, and the proposition was you're going to make really great advertising, um, mm-hmm. and it is is not going to be things popping in everyone's face and autoplaying and whatnot. Right. Um, and it's going to fetch high CPMs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that got you to a point. Yep. Right. I mean, you guys grew a lot. Um, in and out of profitability from, yep. I think, from what I got from the, the Japanese slides. Um, but at the same time, you know, media now is, uh, you know, being ad-driven is, is sort of not a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think being completely ad-dependent is yes. not and maybe never was a good thing for, for anybody. Um, at the risk of this sounding like, uh, you know, revisionist history, you're exactly right that that was the original premise. That was the big wide opening for us at the time is a lot of the competitive set were um, rigidly behind paywalls and reg walls. Um, they were therefore sort of suppressing their traffic potential, the, the reach that they could, they could get. And also, I think we're still fumbling around at the time with what was an ad model. You know, what, what was the ad model that could work in, in digital? Um, so we saw a huge opening to um, launch a brand and make a run at garnering um, a large audience, a large advertising base, uh, and build the foundation with that to start, which we did, and I think we did really successfully. But the idea of reaching global business professionals, and I'll underscore business professionals, and, and maybe business and professionals, um, was that along the line as you develop over the course of decades, and again, this is designed to be something that you know stands the long test of time, that you could create other offerings, other products that get closer to utility for this audience and that they may pay for. Um, And you can imagine varieties of different things. But it was always in the back of our mind that if you did that, if you captured and served this audience really well, there are multiple ways to monetize beyond just advertising. And that's what we're at the beginning of exploring now six years in. Okay, so Userbase has a lot of experience in this because people pay for news picks. Right. Well, you can you can download and use Newspix for free there, yeah. but a certain slice of the Newspix audience also pays for uh, um, for content that sits behind uh, a right. paywall there. So, how is that informing Quartz as it goes into into paid? Yeah, it's um, w- well, I think we're 
we're still at the front end of learning those lessons. We had had a lot. So we, we just launched, as you probably know, on November 13th, we launched our own membership um, program, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, membership exclusive content um, that we're asking subscribers to to pay for. That was a project that was on the drawing board long before the user-based conversations even began. We started this year with that, um, with that proposition, with beginning to build that proposition uh, out. And so our original assumptions around what that would look like um, are still are we're moving forward with those and those were assumptions that we developed at Quartz. Um, what we're learning from um, from Userbase and their experience with news picks is things like um, cadence of uh, of subscriber mm-hmm. um, subscriber content. Um, certainly, the kinds of things that that um, that trigger people to shift from free to paid. Um, we're, we're certainly getting learnings from there. And we're also though being, I think, circumspect about whether the Japanese market is, is idiosyncratic in its own way in terms of what that media market will bear and the rest of the world might be completely different. They have newspapers with like 20 million subscribers still. Yeah. Really robust newsstands. (laughs) Like going, going into bookstores and news, news shops in Japan is is physical treat. Yeah, Um, that's right. Which is great. So when you're thinking about, um, paid you're thinking about memberships, right? Not a paywall, not a metered system. Not a metered system. That's right. Explain Thanks. like the thinking and when you were looking at because you you amassed like you know a, a nice a large audience for the the focus area that you have. Right. And so then the question is, well, how many of these can we move over into a paid relationship and still maintain a large audience? Explain the sort of calculus you went through. Yeah, sure. So you want to be able to maintain that. I mean, as a you know, if you look at it as a business model, um, there's a big you know wide top of the funnel that we've created with the 20 million people that come mm-hmm. to QZ. Uh, every single month. And then a little further down that funnel, there are um, loyalists who already um, subscribe to our um, daily brief and email newsletters or uh, are users of our old app, which is now called the, the Quartz Brief, that the, the text app that we launched back in, in 2016. And you don't, I think two things, you don't want to lose that um, that group and you don't want to lose the opportunity to continue to grow that piece of the audience, mm-hmm. um, both as a monetized by advertising, pretty much. Correct. Monetized yeah. by, yeah, exactly. Monetized by, by advertising. Um, but there's a certain slice of that audience, again, that you that we think that you can serve more deeply. We did a lot of research, again, pre-user uh, base around um, the kinds of things that, um, one, the propensity of a certain core of our users to pay for something from Quartz, and then two, the kinds of things that they would be interested in. And what you see is going deeper and, and more deeply into certain verticals where, in essence, um, the way we're phrasing it to ourselves is, you know, we're, if we can give you an education, give you some kind of um, uh, leg up and in information that makes you better at your job, that mm-hmm. makes you smarter, that gives you some concrete um, uh, reward for having spent time with that content, that users will pay for that. Um, so rather than trying to arbitrarily decide is a news story that might sit in the primary stream of QZ.com, is that worth putting behind the paywall because what, you know, what, what determines that, um, rather we're focusing on, um, on our membership content in these sort of chapters that make you smarter about different sectors of the, uh, of the global economy that are either going through or leading disruptive change. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't a meter just be like cleaner? I mean, say, you know, it could be like 10 for Bloomberg, but it could be, could be five. 
Yeah, I think it could be. I mean, listen, we'll we'll see how this plays out over time. But I think it's it's less clear to me what the metered proposition is. You know, for a user, when did they decide? Okay, I you know, I will pay. I'll go past. I need to pay to get through. Uh, you know, to through this paywall, or for us to determine how many articles can you see before we start charging you. Um, seems potentially um, arbitrary to me. And so, again, giving people a really specific and clear proposition um, that says, hey, this this content that we're providing you, and it's not just the content. Um, we are doing uh, conference calls every Friday with uh, journalists who are uh, uh, who are writing these stories and writing these chapters. Um, there will be membership events that are coming up uh, in the in the subsequent year. So we're providing a value that um, you will do the calculus. It's worth mm-hmm. the return on investment. So these are the hardcore loyalists. Uh, yeah, I think they're the hardcore they're the hardcore loyalists at the beginning. But I think also we've got the opportunity to attract a, a, a whole separate or a separate slice of the audience for whom the content we're um, providing is is really meaningful, whether you're a loyalist or not. Um, uh, if we do the job right and do it well, we're going to have content um, that sits in membership that um, that breaks out on its own and creates additional awareness and uh, and importance for Quartz mm-hmm. over time. How big um, of a segment is that? I mean, you hear yeah. like a, a a rule of thumb that like anywhere from one to five percent of an audience is, right. and I don't even know if that, I never see it cited, but I I, I hear it talked about more. Um, yeah. That one to five percent of an audience can be expected to convert over to a subscription or membership product. Yeah, I, I think that's directionally true. I mean, if you look at at the data, and I think you know that is our supposition that over time. Um, you know, you can get to and what that time frame is. I'm, I'm not, you know, fully committed to at this point. But, you know, with something like Quartz, you could get to a million paid subscribers over time. And then you've got a, uh, a really meaningful, you know, piece of the business model um, if you're able to achieve that. Mm-hmm. I want to take a quick break here to encourage you to join our own membership program. And that is Digiday Plus. With Digiday Plus, you get access to all Digiday stories. Some are just for members, along with special newsletters and access to Digiday research. We have a research panel of over 6,000 professionals in media and marketing, and we are delivering unique insights from that panel regularly. Head to Digiday.com, go to the Digiday Plus tab in the menu bar, and then enter podcast at checkout for 20% off. Now back to my conversation with Jay. Do you want to talk a little bit about the new app Sure. Yeah. 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 Because um, it's it's different. Um, I, as you guys like to do things differently, and right. I appreciate that. Um, but it's a different experience from 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 a regular news app. Yeah. Yeah. So you so you've used it. And, I have used it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, even with our first app, which was uh, you know the the Quartz Brief, which is a chat experience, we felt like the you know the world doesn't necessarily need another news app that's just a you know a scroll of the headlines. Right. So this is taking cues from and adapting the um, the NewsPix product in Japan, which is a which is a big hit after Smart News. It's the number one news app, I believe, in Japan yeah. in terms and of Smart News is a, giant of installs. Yeah, people it's, don't realize Smart News is Smart News is giant, and I think is you know is trying to reach everybody a mass audience again what newspix is trying to do is serve this global business professional so back to your original question it's one of the reasons we uh saw a kinship and thought that this could be uh be a good match but the idea is to basically provide a tool for this audience which is really sophisticated a better tool for both discovering and then uh commenting on 
the news of the day and news that that matters. So I don't think it's overly combative to suggest that uh, the community platforms that exist today are not necessarily doing, you know, a perfect job of this, of surfacing news that really matters and then high quality commentary around that that news. Um, that's what this app is designed to do. So unapologetically from the beginning, we say we're a news organization and yes, we have an editorial staff. And so the news feed uh, is selected by professionals um, who mm-hmm. are determining that this is news that you should probably pay attention to. You also have your own feed, which is customizable like other, uh, again, community platforms where you can choose who to follow, what subjects to follow, what brands, uh, media brands to follow in order to uh, curate your own feed. I think the real magic comes in where um, in the in the commenting uh, approach, which is you can make one salient, a single salient comment on a news story. There's no threading. There's no back and forth. You know, it, it really cuts back on on trolling and, and all the screeds that you see. I can't think get in, in there and argue. No, you can't really get in there. <laughs> you can't get in there and argue. Uh, and there's no there's no character limit. So the 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 way I sort of conjure this up in my head is um, what we have done. So one, you've got, um, you know, the community itself. We, we said from the beginning, one of the phrases in uh, Kevin Delaney's opening letter uh, when we first launched Quartz was that collectively, we believe that collectively our audience is smarter than we are. And so mm-hmm. we'll constantly engage them in the uh, in, in determining what kind of stories we need to cover and getting their feedback. We still believe that that's true. And so in this app, it gives that community a chance to um, weigh in directly and sort of share mm-hmm. commentary together. In addition to that, um, what you probably have seen is we've recruited over 50 and we'll continue to recruit what we call Quartz Pros. And these are known and notable um, experts in various fields. So we've got everybody from Richard Branson and Ian Bremmer to Adam Grant, Beth Comstock, um, the CEO of the World Bank, uh, and others who have signed up to the platform uh, to comment um, with some regular cadence every week on relevant news stories. So the way I look at it is if you're sitting down in the morning to breakfast to read the news, imagine that you're sitting across from Ian Bremmer or Beth Comstock, Mm -hmm. and they're telling you how to think about this news story, or here's my take on this story. It's a pretty valuable proposition. How does this tie into subscriptions? I mean, do you end up seeing this as, as leading people down the funnel? Yeah, certainly. Um, so right now, you know, most of the subscriptions are being driven through QZ.com, and that will okay. continue to happen. But as we grow the audience uh, and the community for uh, for the platform, we believe that it will be, just as it has been for NewsPix in Japan, uh, a significant driver of, uh, of subscriptions. Really, the idea is exactly as you go further down the funnel, if the top of the funnel is QZ.com, and then you've got subscribers to the current product line, um, uh, which are, you know, sort of loyal, is we're trying to give the community, we're trying to, basically, community is an overused term, mm-hmm. but we um, see this in all our research when we do events ourselves. The, the, the Quartz community is a community. They are people who know each other when they see each other. I always say that we speak their native language and the tone and the UX of of courts, and the idea is to create a platform that drives that community to um, cohere and and work together uh, to to um, communicate together more, and that's going to give us an opportunity as they move closer down, more tightly engaged with us to to convert to paid. Yeah. So with this converting to paid, and we're seeing more publishers come out with subscription or membership programs. I think today, even like when HuffPost is doing uh, a subscription <laughs> yeah. program. I think you know that the that it's truly a pivot to paid. Um, many of these are not going to work, 
right? right. I mean, it, right. It'd be just because you have a very defined audience, there's a lot of there's a lot of folks who are still in the middle, and I think when you start to ask people to pay, um, that's gonna that's gonna expose whether or not you're stuck in the middle. I think that's right. I think that's why it is probably a healthy Darwinian uh, moment um, to mm-hmm. sort of test that assumption. And I agree with you. I think at some level in order to survive in general, and if survival means that you have to have multiple revenue streams or you need an element of paid, um, it's my belief that you have to be indispensable on some level for your audience. So in your world um, where you're covering an industry very tightly and specifically, people need to engage with you every morning. Um, there's, a, there's a degree to which that's, that's a necessity. Um, for the New Yorker on the other side of the spectrum, some people love the New Yorkers, writers, and journalism so much that they can't imagine mm. living without it. And it signals something about themselves. In right? that instance, right, exactly. Tote bag and right. stuff. So that, like that. that matters enough for people to pay for. But to your point, between the New Yorker and the Digidays of the world, you know, what, what, uh, you know, who survives. And I think you have to be indispensable in order to survive. I think the other point about, you know, uh, the HuffPo Mm -hmm. news today is even Oath at its scale is not really able to compete on scale. That's, that's terrifying. Um, So I mean, I, I, so give up the scale game. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like if, if it's funny because uh, Jared Krujt is, 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 has left already as a CEO, but I, I, did a podcast with him in which he was like, oh, subscriptions are, are not right for some, someone like a HuffPost. And mm. I think it says something about where the ad market overall has gone that they've completely changed on that. Um, and this was not like a, well, we'll see down the line kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it says a lot about the ad market. I think it also, you know, potentially says something, and I think this is what we're all testing about the consumer, uh, the consumer mm-hmm. market as well. Our consumers in this, you know, two-year political climate, beginning to wake up to the fact that if you want to have valuable and valued, trusted sources, that you may need to pay for and support mm-hmm. them. Now, that might be, to your point, one to five percent of right. you know, the overall citizenship that will do that. Um, but I think that's a that's another element that's being tested here. Yeah, that'll be the real challenge because there's no like in between. And I know a lot of folks yeah. are trying to solve that problem, and and micro payments and and all these other schemes have not worked. Right. Um, but there's only so many subscriptions that people can have. I know you're probably banking on. I mean, like us, most of our subscriptions are on on corporate credit cards. And if you do have a corporate credit card, you should really really subscribe to Digiday Plus. And um, Quartz. And expense it. And Quartz. And we could do a bundle if you want. We've actually experimented with our friends at Business Insider. I've seen that. Yeah, let's um, talk offline. Uh, but um, there has to be something that makes this easier on, on the consumer side. Yeah, it's not clear what that is yet. Um, I used to talk with uh, Alex from uh, Blendle um, a lot. I don't know if you've... Yeah. T- oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I, he's... He's really passionate and earnest about what he's doing, and I think there's, there's something interesting there. It's one that, of those I chalk up. Works in Holland, right? Exactly. I think it works <laughs> in that in that small market. You know, anytime I begin to imagine what that might look like here, you start you know running into the fears of what iTunes did to you know music creators. You know, if if they're going to be micro payments that some other platform you know collects and gives you a, a small percentage of, I'm not sure that's the way any of us want to go. Um, I don't know the answer to that, um, and I I, um, I certainly don't, um, uh, you know, wish ill of 
you know, meaningful and earnest, uh, you know, journalistic institutions. But I, again, I do think the path that we've chosen very deliberately at the beginning was to serve, as you said before, a very specific audience with um, a specific type of content. And I think that's a that's a better bet than being general interest or general news or too broad, to your point. Okay, so final thing is I'm asking everyone for a resolution for... 2019. It can be personal or it can be for the entire industry. Wow. Yeah. Resolution. Um, I haven't sorted out my personal resolutions. That's a complicated (laughs) thing uh, every year. But uh, I would say for the industry where I started before, I think you need to figure out what makes you indispensable uh, and resolve to crush it at that uh, and not be distracted with the things that are not making you indispensable. That would be my resolution. Okay. Jay, thanks so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. This show is produced by Aditi Sangal. Tell us what you think. Tweet at me or email me your feedback. I am bmarsi on Twitter and bmarsi at digiday.com. Also, please take a minute and leave a review for us. Uh, We greatly appreciate those reviews and ratings um, or tell a friend about it. Uh, We would like more people to discover this podcast. And thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week. Zaxxis is helping brands engineer their advantages with outcome-driven media powered by AI. Learn more at Zaxxis.com right now. That's X-A-X-I-S.com.